Welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast, where strategic leaders get straight to the topics, strengthening our awareness and sharpening our minds. The Pin Leader Podcast is produced by Roar, a production division of Maze and Associates LTD. Find out more at www.mazeassociatesltd.com. Now here is your award-winning host, Dr. Shan DeGore. Welcome back to the Pen Leader Podcast. And I have today with me a wonderful guest that has so much experience, 50 years experience uh, in an area that some of us, when we talk about leadership, um, sometimes we forget or we don't realize that we need a partner who has this type and this level of experience. But I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Mr. Chuck Schaub, who is an experienced patent lawyer in a wide variety of technical fields. He has that more than 50 years experience. Uh, he has experience with uh, multinational Fortune 500 companies as well as many individual inventors. His experience ranges in medical devices to automotive components. He's well-versed in licensing agreements, trademark, and copyright, and he's been employed and then, is, of course, is helping lead a firm right now. Um, he has been the past president of a number of foundations and boards. He gives back to the community. And what's uh, also exciting about uh, what he was sharing is he also sees himself as a mediocre participant in squash, tennis, and cycling. And I don't believe the word mediocre, that you do anything in mediocre, but I appreciate that you uh, are shared that because hobbies are very needed in leadership too. So I want to say thank you so much and welcome Chuck Schaub. Hello, Chuck. Hello, Shishanda. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, I'm happy to be here. I hope I can uh, provide some insights and maybe a few comments that might be of interest to your listeners. I, I would really appreciate that. I think that there's uh, something said about uh, trademarking and copyright that is leaders, especially if you own a business or you're involved in a business and you come up with new ideas, uh, you may get very busy in the middle of being a leader with that idea, but there's parts that really need to be protected. And I think that's really what the heart of what we're going to be talking about today and protecting your genius, protecting your genius. So can you share just uh, just a roadmap uh, on what you see and what you suggest if someone does come up with an original idea? It's always interesting when someone does that and they have something that looks like it has commercial potential. Certainly the best thing you can do is to start documenting that this is your idea and trying to fill out how it's going to work uh, would suggest that you want to talk with a lawyer that is experienced in that field. You know, go over the concept. Uh, you may do some patent searching. You may do some other investigating. Uh, and sit down and, and analyze the commercial potential. Uh, almost everything in my field of the law is uh, the, the actions that are taken are based upon the value of the technology. I always joke with clients and say, if you've got an invention that Looks like it's 95% patentable, but nobody wants to buy it. Who cares? Um, <laughs> at the same time, if you've got something that looks like it's 5% patentable and you can't make them fast enough, uh, we're going to want to try and protect that. It has value. 
And uh, so that's kind of my approach to uh, all areas of intellectual property. You're trying to protect things that have value. And I always like putting the client in a position where they're making affirmative decisions on how to proceed. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll get somebody that comes in and, gee, we've been making this for three years and selling it for three years. Okay, it's too late. You've missed the opportunity to protect it. Um, you know, so I'm trying to counsel uh, clients to come in, talk with us, look at the ideas. Maybe we do some research on them, get some background information, and then you can make an informed decision as the business owner or the inventor how you want to proceed. And I like that approach a whole lot better than saying, gee, this is out of your hands. You no longer have an option for doing this. And most clients are pretty receptive to that. They say, okay, let's do that. Uh, but I also have to admit in today's world, people are so busy that uh, you know it, it's hard to get them to, to, to concentrate on things that aren't maybe the specific thing that are, they have to get done that day to keep their business operating. So it's, uh, it's always a little bit of a battle to get them to look into the crystal ball and say, all right, this is important. We need to spend the time and effort to look at this and, and make informed decisions. Well, and that's, I, there's a couple of points there. I think it's very important because you were talking about the length of time that needs to go by that, first of all, you're trying to figure out, is this really viable or not? And then, of course, you don't want to miss the window. And so is there a um, kind of a range of a sweet spot of like when people do come up with it and then they're sharing it with others? I mean, what's your thoughts? There's definitely a sweet spot. You have uh, under the U.S. patent laws one year from when you first offer something for sale, use it commercially, or publish to file a patent application. You go beyond that, and it's uh, it's in the public domain. You may come up with an improvement um, that will make it uh, uh, a little bit better, and you could possibly patent the improvement, but you would have lost the basic concept. Um, the other factor that has changed is the U.S. patent system is now a first to the patent office. It used to be the first to invent. So if you could establish that you invented it first, even if somebody else filed a patent application before you, you could show that it was your technology and you had rights to it. Now the first person to get to the patent office has the, the rights. And the only way you can really offset that is if you can show that somehow they derived it from you, that they had information from you and that it wasn't really their concept. They basically stole it from you. And uh, so that changes the dynamics considerably. So if you're going to go out and talk to people about the concept, which is frequently exactly what you want to do, you want to get people excited about it and uh, if it's worth it, right? Yeah, to see if it's worth it, if there's value there. Um, so that's something that you know, people frequently do. But in today's world, we would counsel people to file something uh, before you go out and start disclosing it to others, because you never know when somebody else files that patent application. And, you know, you could say arguably you have the ability to offset that, but it's a real uphill battle. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you share too, I think there's confusion on, well, what exactly is this? So for example, if it's, um, do I do a trademark? Do I do a copyright? Do I license? What can you share? What are the differences between those? Okay. Uh, patents cover concepts, uh, technology, uh, 
uh, a machine, a method for doing something, uh, and it gives you protection on that concept. Uh, a trademark is something that you use to identify goods or services that you sell. And, um, and it's, it's specific to those goods and services for the most part. Uh, and copyright is something that protects something that you put in a tangible medium, which is a, a terrible term that they use in the copyright office, but it means it's fixed in some way. It's a, it's, it's a book, it's a song, uh, it's something that people can look at a computer program and you can say, I created that and I'm entitled to protection for that. So there are three separate types of protection. Um, they all have their values. Obviously, if you're a, an author, a musician, copyright is extremely important. If you run a business, um, you know, Nike sells a whole lot of stuff under the name Nike. Uh, people buy it because whether they like Nike or not, uh, it's well known and, and they've developed that market. Uh, you know, things like Coca-Cola, same thing. People really uh, buy into that, uh, that marketing. And on the patent side, there are very few businesses, um, especially in the Midwest, that uh, if you go back into their history, there isn't some technology that they developed and more than likely patented at one time that helped form the basis of their company. And so there's a lot of technical components to a lot of companies that... Uh, uh, it, it kind of got them started and, and made the whole thing work. And uh, so there's separate types of protection. And frequently, um, somebody may come up with a patentable concept and start a business. Um, then they end up doing a, a trademark on the name that they use uh, for the business and maybe the products that they sell. And, um, and they get to the point where they're doing advertising and uh, they may want to have good copyright protection on their advertising that they produce so other people don't, uh, don't steal it from them. And, uh, uh, and so, the, you know, they're, they all fit together, but they're, they're separate components of the intellectual property. And I think the internet uh, and social media and a lot of other things have generated people looking at establishing businesses and trying to protect uh, things that they have created. So, I'm not surprised at that. I think there's a, a, a bit of a uh, entrepreneurship boom in the country right now. A lot of people looking to say, gee, I want to do something a little different. Uh, I'm going to take my ideas and try and do something with them, uh, maybe create a business. Uh, and if I create that business, I need to um, protect the ways I identify my products that I'm going to sell. And so I think that's probably just a big part of it. And uh, people through the, the COVID uh, time period um, had a lot of time to uh, <laughs> sit around by themselves and, uh, and come up with ideas um, and, you know, say, gee, I might as well pursue these. What else am I doing? So I can't go out. I can't go and uh, do all these things that I used to do. So now I'm going to spend some time uh, following up on some of these concepts that I had. Well, that's another thing, too, is I wonder when you said not first to invent, but first to get who gets to the patent office. Can you talk a little bit about because there's cost associated with this? And I know that makes people hesitant and there's ranging of um, and, and then we'll get into a question about fraud, because I know there's a lot of fraud going on within that, too. But can you talk about costs and what someone could expect to protect their genius? Sure. On the patent side, it, it ranges a lawfully lot uh, uh, based on the technology. If things are very complicated, um, 
you know, it's obviously more expensive to, to do that, but uh, to file a patent application and go through uh, the process to get to a patent, you're probably looking at spending somewhere between, I don't know, five and $20,000. And uh, uh, some of the costs are um, predictable and some of them are not. Uh, once you file a patent application, it is uh, examined by a patent examiner and, uh, and they make some determinations on whether or not it's patentable. Um, then you have the ability to go in and contest those positions. And sometimes that is a relatively straightforward process. And sometimes it is extremely complicated and, uh, and it can take quite a while. And so the cost can be very uh, uh, variable and uh, depends on how you go through the, the process. And as part of that, I think you're always looking at, we've spent this much money so far, what's the technology doing for us? And does it continue to make sense to keep spending money? And uh, hopefully most of the time, it, the answer to that is yes, it does. It's, it has value uh, to the individual or the company that's involved. So those are kind of rough ranges. And I know it's not very helpful to probably a listener to say, gee, but what I would suggest is that you always want to sit down with, you know, whoever it is you're, you're talking to uh, that might be helping you protect it and uh, always ask for estimates. Um, you know, make sure that that's a, a, a part of the discussion. I always tell clients, um, all right, when we go through a little bit of this, I'm going to tell you what I think it's going to cost because that's extremely important to you. That helps you make a decision, again, an, inf an informed decision on whether or not you move forward. And so I think that's a critical juncture that, you know, you always have to have. And occasionally there are some things you know, you look at the client and say, all right, I'm not really sure, you know, you're in a dispute. I'm not sure what this is going to cost you. Uh, but how about if we spend this much money and see where we're at? And then we can reassess. And uh, if it makes sense uh, that, yeah, it's still worthwhile pursuing, we can we can keep pursuing that. But most of the time with a patent, a trademark or a copyright, you can get a pretty good sense of what the, uh, you know, the the initial costs are going to be and what's what's fairly reasonable and then I think it helps the business make a decision. Yes, that makes sense to uh, to invest the money. And frequently, businesses have spent a whole lot of money developing this new technology. They maybe have committed a whole lot of money into putting mm -hmm. it into the marketplace. Uh, Very expensive. Yeah, yeah, building the machinery, whatever's necessary. And, uh, and hopefully, most of the time, the patent cost and the trademark cost are a relatively small portion of that expense. Uh, again, not something that you ignore, but if you've spent millions of dollars developing this and you're going to spend millions putting the equipment together to make it and more millions to go out and promote it in the marketplace, you know, spending 10 or $20,000 uh, on a patent, uh, again, you don't ignore that, but it's probably uh, not the biggest consideration they, they're, they're, they're thinking about if it, if it looks like it's something that's really going to make money for the company. You know, that's, um, I want to go further with that, uh, thinking about those companies that are actually pursuing it. They want to know, you know, they want to go forward and they, and say they get to the stage where they do it. What's interesting about it, and, um, and I've experienced this too, is that all of a sudden you may have filed, but then you start getting uh, letters in the mail from 
agencies you've not heard of that are asking you to also file that you haven't filed and that you should file and to pay them an additional fee to go ahead and file. Uh, luckily, legal support, you know, that sounds fraudulent, but can you, um, there seems to be a whole crop of companies that go behind when um, a true filing has happened and then basically try to plant a seed of doubt that it was actually done. Yes, there's a lot of that, and I have to um, uh, be honest with you in that those companies have been very creative. Uh, they've put together things that look very official. Um, they send it out in a way that it looks very official, and basically they're just um, uh, fishing to get business from people, and frequently it is uh, there. there's no reason to do it. Um, we see it all the time when trademarks need to be renewed. Uh, and sometimes even uh, maintenance fees on patents, um, that these companies will send things out to the trademark owner or the patent owner and say, gee, this fee is coming up, you know, uh, and it looks like an official communication from the trademark office or the patent office. And actually it is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that they're together. But, uh, uh, and it looks official. And, you know, we have clients all the time that will call us and say, is, you know, I thought you guys were handling this, and it's like, yes, we are. And uh, and it used to be we would send notices out to clients that these fees would be coming up and give them, you know, a reasonable time period to um, to make a decision, you know, maybe six months. And uh, the companies that are trying to solicit this business kept making the their, their offers earlier and earlier. So um, we've had to adjust and uh, give our clients earlier notice because these companies are are sending out notices to them and and luckily most of the clients are sophisticated enough that they'll call us and say or send it to us and say what's this and mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. you know and we'll say you can ignore that that's uh <laughs> and and it's surprising a lot of them um look like they're coming from the patent office or the trademark office i mean they have you know put their material together well enough that it really does look official well that's a that's a good word to anyone who's listening to, if, especially if you're thinking about this. Uh, it can be affordable, but you have to be prepared to pay um, costs to make sure that you can protect uh, your genius. But you also have to make sure that others are not trying to go behind and try to get you to double pay. And, and then it, nothing comes of it. And that, um, that's a concern. It's like... Um, you know, in so many situations, there's always fraud that follows uh, in different ways, but um, that's an instance. I want to talk about those million of uh, leaders that are out there trying to get this patent, uh, according to the, the filings. There, how many in your estimate, and you've had so many years experience, uh, you actually wind up in court um, and you've been in court with clients. Can you give an, an example? Um, I think about the, again, these million um, individuals who've filed their patent, um, they may have to wind up in litigation. What is, uh, what have you seen? Can you give us an example of like a, a best and worst case scenario? Uh, certainly can give you uh, a couple of examples. Uh, uh, and, and one of the limitations of the system is that your rights are there, but to assert those rights, you're talking about going to court and going to court is an expensive proposition. Uh, patent litigation in particular is extremely expensive. Um, years ago, we were involved in a case where um, 
a fellow that had a, a lot of uh, different patent rights that sued a client, and uh, um, and it went to trial. We tried to to settle it, and uh, and the patent owner ended up with a uh, very substantial verdict in their favor. Um, um, we tried to settle the case, and our client uh, didn't want to, but uh, the, the patent owner ended up with a uh, a very uh, substantial verdict. Um, another case, we uh, had a client that had been sued, um, and we found that the, we litigated, and the patent was held to be invalid. Uh, so our client won, and the... Um, uh, the patent owner had licensed this technology to a bunch of other companies, and um, once the patent was held invalid, um, it's invalid for everybody, not oh. just uh, with our oh, client. No. Uh, so, um, and again, that was a case that we tried to settle, and the patent owner was not willing to do so, um, and was a little bit shocked when he realized his patent was now invalid, and uh, and that invalid meant it's invalid. Period. Not just with regard to the litigants, but it's invalid, and uh, so it can go both ways. Um, uh, and I've also seen cases where the cost of litigation was so extensive that um, you know people were basically uh, not quite forced, but close to forced to uh, settling it in some way that um, it just didn't make sense. Um, you know, the the cost was going to exceed what the, the reasonable value was for many years. And, uh, you know, eventually you come up with some way to resolve that. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you can uh, settle and you can figure that out to save the court costs, do yes. it is what yeah. you're advising. But it's not always the case. And then if you go to trial, it could wind up in a direction that you didn't it wouldn't necessarily be in your favor, so you have to be mindful because having a jury in front of you. Uh, and what, what's the highest court you've had to go into? I've only been in district court, uh, um, federal district court, and we've always told clients that um, when it comes down to litigation, do you really want uh, a judge or a jury to make a decision that's important to you? Uh, they don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about your company, uh, they're going to hear some limited facts in the trial. Um, with regard to patents in particular, a lot of it may be very confusing to them. And uh, when the, it's all done, um, you know, you're going to step back and say, gee, I wonder what either the, that judge or that jury is going to do. Uh, uh, we think it's a lot better to be in control of the process and hopefully come up with some resolution that makes sense for both sides, that usually that's a better result. And most of the cases, um, I can't give you a current statistic, but most litigation, uh, not only the, the patent, trademark, copyright area, but almost all civil lit litigation, uh, somewhere in excess of 90% of it gets settled. Uh, I think the, the combatants decide that that's the smartest thing to do. <laughs> um, so that's good advisement, too. Um, do you have any, you know, when we talk about leaderships and pin leadership, we talk about, you know, sharpening, being experienced, getting the education that to help you be stronger in whatever field you're in and um, staying the course, um, whatever that course and strategic plan you've got and having strength to, to weather the storms. I, you know, part of this that I'm hearing right now makes me think 
uh, going through, you need the weather, um, push forward. If you really believe in your idea, you have to push through and have all of those attributes to be able to be successful as a leader in whatever you're working on or trying to bring to market. Um, you know, out of those, which one do you think is probably um, the first thing that you would like advise if you were prioritizing? I was prioritizing, I guess I would say, being able to and willing to do the work. Um, you know, we've all been involved in organizations or committees and, you know, the rule is always that there's 10 or 20% of the people that are willing to actually do something. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, even in business, uh, you know, you have to be one of the people that's willing to pick up the laboring oar and, and do the work. And I think that's a big part of the leadership. And I also look at being fairly flexible. Uh, we'll see people that develop uh, a new concept and you know, they're the inventor and they're pushing it. And they may be extremely good at being an inventor, uh, but then it moves to the next level. And now they've got to make the product and they maybe they have to bring somebody else in to make it and they kind of get it up and running a bit. And then they may need somebody that um, um, can bring resources. You know, now we need to take this to another level. We need to build a factory. We need to get marketing and, uh, uh, and to be able to step back and say, gee, I've, I, I'm the guy that got it to this point, but can I take it to the next level? To, you know, the person to take it to the next level. And if I can't, am I flexible enough that I can bring in other people to help me do that. And I've seen it work both ways. I've seen inventors that thought they could do everything. And um, some of them have survived. Uh, some of them have augured into the ground. But <laughs> most of the time, the people that are willing to look at themselves and say, I gave my component and that was good. I'd like to stay in somewhat of control, but I need other people to help me uh, and bring those people in. I think that's that flexibility is a good part of leadership also. And as part of that, I've also seen clients that when they move from the initial step to the next step uh, to bring somebody in, they're willing to give up a significant portion of what they've created. Um, well, I'll give this person half of the rights to this and uh, I'll look at them and say, you know, that's nice. But when you go to the next level and that person wants a percentage, you know, whose percentage it's going to come out it's of. It's going to be yours. yours. And mm -hmm. uh, you've already given away half of your rights. So you've got half to uh, to work with. And maybe the person has the other half is willing to to share. But don't count on that if you don't have, uh, if it's a family member, maybe it's fine. But, uh, you know, just be very careful how much control you give up when you're developing this. You know, you need to have that, that flexibility. So, um I, I think you need all those components you've talked about, but I think keeping some flexibility and some realization of what your skills are and if um, you need to bring in other people to help supplement your skills, that's a good sign of leadership also. Excellent. Yeah, identifying where you need help and being able to ask for it, um, I think really critical. That's a great point. So first of all, I want to say thank you so much, Chuck, for coming on the show, talking and sharing your wisdom about this area. I'm really hoping that individuals who have been thinking about trademarking or copyright, I hope this clears the air on the different levels and then what to go about to do. Uh, I also would love to say 
thank you to everyone who's listening. And again, I hope you got enough from Chuck as well. So Chuck, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you to your listeners. Excellent. So with that said, um, I want to make sure to uh, keep in mind that we it, the show has always been about getting straight to the point. And I think today is another great example of getting straight to the point with your business and protecting it, um, strengthening your awareness and sharpening your mind. So until next time. The Pen Leader Podcast is hosted by Dr. Shanda Gore and brought to you by Mace & Associates LTD, creating customized solutions for growth in the areas of leadership development, strategic planning, and culture building. Find out more at www.maceassociatesltd.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pen Leader Podcast and share with others.